And now for another episode, Heard It Through the Rose Vine, with your host, the creator of Black Rose Writing, Raygun Brody. Greetings and salutations. This is Reagan Rody, the host of Heard It Through the Rose Vine, signing on for another episode. And yes, we are still here for number three. My co-host today is again the social media and marketing Jedi for Black Rose Writing, Christopher Miller. Uh, good morning, Christopher. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Had my coffee. I'm ready for uh, ready for episode three. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited because the best part of the podcast is, uh, you know, not not having it visual as I haven't um, gotten a haircut and I need to get one. And I've got like I've got a really big flowing mane going this morning. Um, and, and so my hair is really like a thick, thick head of hair. And so when it starts getting past that, that certain stage, it gets a little uh, kind of can stick out in all places. And my wife, uh, Minna, really loves it when I like rub my fingers down my up my face, like over my sideburns and around my ears and push it up. So it looks like the wolf man and kind of sticks out. <laughs> well, the I can and- certainly. I could certainly relate. I think my uh, I think my beard's been going on three months of no trim, so the uh, the uh, mountain man is fully alive. <laughs> yeah, so maybe today's the lucky day, or tomorrow I go get a uh, go get a little cleaned up. So we've got some. Uh, just wanted to give a shout out to uh, St. Louis Catholic School, uh, the school where my daughter Lena goes. Um, we did a Black Rose writing cover and, and writing storytelling contest, and uh, there were just a couple of winners I wanted to mention. Our staff judged the contest, and it, we, you know, it went went very well. But we had a really inspirational piece in the fifth grade from Adeline Oberg, who won the writing contest um, in fifth grade, and then the uh, one of the covers that stood out that uh, had the most votes from our staff was Brooke Kennedy's Twilight cover. So just a quick shout out there. And um, we've got some, uh, we've got some other good things in in the works for Black Rose writing. Uh, one of the things I was pretty excited about and was going to, you know, I just shared with you the other day was our December 2020. Uh, we have 20 books releasing that month. And they will be from all 20 will be from current Black Rose writing authors. So they'll all be veteran authors, no new titles. Um, so that's that's really uh, an exciting feat. Uh, what else do you have, uh, you know, going on in, in our uh, you know recent news or anything? Well, it's always nice to have, you know, get the kids involved and in, and them having that uh that little contest that was cool for them. And, and actually the, our authors and black Rose writing just donated in royalties, uh, to the free books for kids foundation, uh, which is a really cool foundation. What they do is they take, uh, books from just about anywhere and they hand them out to, uh, you know, economically disadvantaged children, uh, I guess you could say, and uh, they, they give them out to libraries in those neighborhoods and things like that. And so all, all the children get a chance to, you know, have a, have a choice of what to read and, and be able to read. 
Um, but they, you know, they places like Goodwill and Salvation Army don't always have all the room for books because they take on so much more. So these wonderful people, uh, they give children a chance to read. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Lena, my daughter and I put together three book boxes yesterday. I think it was a total of about 50 something books. And we're going to be shipping those out to some little free library stewards so they can stock their, you know, their local libraries with some Black Rose writing titles, some of our overstocks. That's always fun. Good for them and then good for our uh, good for our publicity for some of our authors. Um, We also have one other thing I wanted to mention was that we have you know, started being uh, much more successful on our Amazon ads marketing. And um, we've had quite a lot of UK sales over the years, but we uh, recently launched our first Amazon UK ads on a- on the AMS platform and Five Wishes and Dollhouse have now sold multiple copies based on those ad clicks in the UK. So that's pretty exciting. And um, I uh, was going to switch gears on you. I started watching or watched episode number five. I was going to ask you what you're reading or watching. And that made me think of uh, watching Stephen King's The Outsider on HBO. So I'm I'm Mm. five in and I've read, obviously read the book beforehand. And it's fun to talk to, you know, some of our staff members or people who have never read the book watching the show just because it's, Obviously, they don't they don't know what it's leading towards uh, and, you know, what the whole story is where I know the whole story already. But it's good. I don't know if you've watched any of The Outsider yet. Well, unfortunately, even though y'all have been uh, harping on me that I need to watch this, um, me and the wife have not gotten to that uh, series just yet. Um, we've actually been watching a show that the old design department, David King, give him a little shout out. He, uh, he recommended a show called the expanse, which is if you like sci-fi, uh, space exploration kind of stuff with a little action drama, it mixed in that that was pretty good, but no, I have not started the outsider just yet. Yeah. It's, if you like the, uh, kind of eerie, creepy detective show, it's definitely one to watch. And this one has a little bit of the twist because it's got the paranormal element versus, you know, something like true detective. That's, that's more, uh, you know, more true story versus, you know, something that could versus couldn't happen. So, but yeah, I don't know if you have anything else you wanted to, you know, mention, uh, this morning. Well, so we did have uh, this past Wednesday, we had Legacy of Fear up for a BookBub feature, and it was all markets, 99 cents, and uh, that was a really great uh, free uh, feature for uh, a crime thriller book, and so that hopefully when we get those numbers in, those are, those are going to be really, really good. Yeah, that's, that's um, you know, I'll be following that closely. And like you said, hopefully when we get those numbers in, um, it'll be a it'll be pretty high on the uh, Amazon bestsellers list. And uh, AJ McCarthy's got a couple other really good titles, Sins of the Fathers and Cold Betrayal as well. So if you are a 
suspense thriller reader or, you know, a lot, I think a lot of her books all have a women, uh, women's sleuth angle, uh, then you should check out A.J. McCarthy. And yeah, we've got, I've got um, Walter Lee, my son, is uh, home today. He's got a, got a mild fever. And so right now he's doing good. He's watching his show and resting, but I wouldn't be surprised any moment if he, uh, if he becomes our surprise guest on the show today. But hopefully, uh, <laughs> come hopefully, join usually, you with the. <laughs> yeah, usually he bounces back quick, but yeah, he might come in and talk about um, who knows, probably either snakes or dragons or dinosaurs or cars. Those are pretty good topics. Come flying in with one of those uh, Lego Star Wars ships y'all y'all built together. Yeah, the, the, Come uh, shoot a the torpedo part. at you. <laughs> yeah, those things will put out an eye. I don't know if anyone's ever built the Lego Star Wars, but they have little projectiles that you can manually fire, and they will—they're uh, very dangerous. Not only do you lose them typically after you fire them once, they go under the couch, and that's the end of them. Um, but they're also—they—they uh, they come out. Uh, pretty fast and so they're a little dangerous but that's that's what I'm you know my birthday's coming up in April and so I think I'm gonna go I'm not a person who really needs or or wants anything when I you know people ask what do you want for your birthday so I'm I'm kind of leaning towards a man I'm gonna start asking for Legos for my birthday again because I got two you know kids that really love building with me and I enjoy building it with them. And I was like, this is something that's like a dual present. And uh, I get to have fun. They get to have fun. And uh, it's like they get yeah. to have a second birthday. You can't beat that. Oh, yeah. You need to get you that. Um, there is a very nice Millennium Falcon for any Star Wars fans out there. That It is a very uh, large project. I think it's, it's 10,000 plus pieces or something. Um, yeah, a little expensive, one, but it looks fun. Yeah, I think the Kylo Ren's little, you know, the, the fighter there is, is um, I think that was, I'm not sure the exact number, but it was a thousand plus. And that was a pretty lengthy uh, process. <laughs> so anything above that, it's definitely going to be a multiple day, you know, just do a section at a time. But that would be pretty fun. But then you got to have somewhere to store these things. Uh, right, we're gonna put a. We might build a special shelf in Walty's room, and it's just gonna be like his Lego Star Wars shelf, like just a big high shelf where the kids can't touch them, and we'll just put them up there until it's playtime, and then uh, and then they can play with them. See, so this is this is the point in the movie where you know the kid builds the car with his father, and it's you know it's it's a sentimental piece throughout. Except this time, you know, younger, get to build a little uh, Lego Star Wars together. That's always fun. It is. I, mean, it's, uh, I probably have more fun than they do. And so that's one of the, you know, <laughs> I, I, I always, you know, I always thought one of the uh, pros, you know, when my wife and I first started having children, you know, it's like, it's, you know, we, we started in our 30s and it's, it's like, man one of the pros of having children, one of the best pros is it's like, I can play with Legos again. 
and I can play with all these toys. <laughs> and it's like, when you have kids and you do it, you're a really cool dad. But if you don't have kids and you do it, you're really creepy and there's something wrong. So it's not like you can be like 28 and be playing with Legos by yourself with no kids and telling people about it. Then it's kind of, you know, it's not a society puts you in a, labels you and puts you in a certain box. But if you have kids, now you can do it all again. It's like getting the, getting a free pass to do the stuff that you, that that's better than adulting. Put it that way. That being said, if you are under 30 and you're playing with Legos, we're not saying it's a bad thing. We're saying that society might label you that way. Otherwise, we're all good with it. I'm good with it. I had a uh, one of the more interesting uh, fans. It was so I was doing a children's book signing and signing one of my children's books, Give Wings to My Triumph, at Barnes and Noble, and one of the uh, people who came up was it was like a I would say between 20 to 25 year old I think he said he was a college student and he asked you know what my book was about and so I'm already kind of like this is a little weird because I only have a children's book today I got no adult books and it, usually it's obviously parents and kids coming by or parents and so I told him about it and he bought a signed copy and I asked him like if it was for his niece or nephew or brother sister or whatever and he said no he goes, he just really likes reading children's books. He was going to go upstairs and sit in one of the chairs and read it at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> and so I was, I mean, it was just, it was the only time I've ever had that. So it was a little, uh, a little bizarre, but obviously I sold a copy and hopefully, uh, hopefully he enjoyed it. He probably read it upstairs in about six minutes and then went on his way. So, Well, I, the only thing to say it. there is to each his own. Yeah, I'm just glad you didn't read it and come back and ask for a refund. Like, I finished it already, and it sucked. And <laughs> yeah, I really hated this book. <laughs> so we've, got, uh, we've got one audience question, unless there's anything else you want to you wanna talk about before we get to our Joe Barrett uh, interview. The author of Managed Care is coming right up. Um, uh, so I so did have I, – I had, I had a little something just real quick. Um, I have I have a lot of authors who occasionally email and, and ask about, you know, what they can do on a budget for book promotions. Uh, you know, if they don't have the money to spend some some options that are out there that they can use, uh, especially. So if you're if you're OK with being on video and not not everybody is, you know, it it can get a little nerve wracking. You know, what do I do? What kind of ideas do I need to have? The setup is, you know, that's the process. But if you're okay with that, there's YouTube, there's TikTok, there's Twitch. Now, Twitch is primarily thought of as a gaming streaming platform, but there, there are quite a few people who do other things. There's people doing teaching yoga class and teaching how to play piano and things like that. I don't know why you couldn't get on there and set up something to where you review a book or you talk about a book. Maybe you talk about yours. Maybe you talk about, uh, you know, th there's lots of different content that you could come up with um, that could really apply to, you know, uh, getting your name out there. And it doesn't even have to be about your book. It could be, uh, you could stream skiing down a mountain if you wanted to do that. Uh, right. Just be, personable and and you know right, authentic just, and that'll that you know that'll help people 
start to trust you and want to, you know, want to follow you. And that, you know, then they, a lot of times they'll look up, you know, oh, it's an author and they'll look up your book, not necessarily buy, buy, buy. Yeah. And, and most of this can even for the most part be done on your smartphone. Now, if you're like my parents and you'd probably use a smartphone as a paperweight rather than for what it's actually good for, well, then, you know, maybe that's not for you, but it's not a, terrible thing it is what it is you know but there's that and then there's also uh if you're trying to look for different ways to reach out on facebook joining reader groups is a good way to do it now i don't mean go in there and say hey everybody i'm such and such buy my book and then spam that that's that's a good way to get yourself kicked out of it but uh you know getting in there introducing yourself uh joining in on their discussions giving your opinions um, it's not always the easy thing to do, but it's a good way to reach out and expand, um, expand on your promotion, on who you are and your book, what it's about and things like that without being too pushy. So those, those are just a couple of options that people can use, uh, for the, on the book promotion side that are budget friendly or don't cost anything at all. Sounds good. Great tips. I've got one question from, Jill Hand, the author of White Oats, um, Jill wants to know what was the strangest comment anyone has ever made about a Black Rose writing book. And um, from my end, I, I'm not, I couldn't think of any just single comments. But one of my favorite things whenever reviewers leave reviews on NetGalley is a lot of times you'll have a reviewer, you know, post a one star rating for a horror book and they'll say their review will be like, you know, didn't like this book. I normally don't read horror. I'm a romance reader, you know, couldn't get into it. And it's like, I don't understand how that's a one star based on the fact that you don't read horror. I mean, if you don't like a genre, don't read it and then give it a negative review because it is that genre. Like this is a horror book. It was scary. So I don't like it. it doesn't make any sense. I think one of the ones I remember was actually on your, uh, kids book that was it's the i apologize i forget the name the uh, i like to eat children yes i like to eat children <laughs> and uh it's it's of course for younger readers but it was an adult reading it and said that it wasn't scary at all well it's not for you <laughs> i i don't know what else to tell you on that one that's like going and watching the Harry Potter series, then reading the books and going, well, I didn't think it was going to be about a wizard. Yeah. Like, it, what, what are you thinking? It's target audience, lady. It's a children's book, not an adult. And, you know, we're not trying to cause kids to, to not sleep at night. So, And just so everyone's aware, there were no tennis rackets harmed in the process of this show. Our guest today is author Joe Barrett. Joe has spent the last or past 25 years as a chief executive of entrepreneurial organizations ranging from private uh, venture funded companies to large publicly listed multinational corporations. He's been a frequent speaker at the National Retail Federation conferences and has sat on the boards of several for profit and nonprofit companies. 
his first novel, Managed Care, won the Maxi Awards 2019 Book of the Year, as well as the Pincraft 2019 Best Fiction Book of the Year. In addition to being a number one Amazon bestseller, his short fiction has been published in Iconoclast, The Storyteller, and the Palo Alto Review. Uh, he is also the author of Daisy in the Doghouse and the yet-to-be-released uh, novel Unplugged. Joe lives with his wife and two children in South Tampa, Florida. Uh, welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, Reagan. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So uh, I've heard you've had some uh, interesting book reviews, uh, or at least, you know, I think there's one that stands out. I was going to see if you wanted to talk about, you know, talk about that and, and how it affected you. Yeah, sure. You know, I talked about that a little bit when I met you at the, the Pencraft Awards. Um, and, you know, it, Managed Care uh, was the first, it was the first novel I ever put, put out there. So I really had no idea uh, what to expect, you know, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of a, a leap before you look type of guy. I don't really consider the consequences of something until I'm into it. And I guess, you know, I kind of expected worst case scenario would be that just nobody's going to read it, you know, so whatever. And then, like I said the other night, I got my first professional review back and it totally ripped the book to shreds. You know, it's uh, the first sentence was managed care is a mess. And then I got the standard, you know, three paragraphs and they were all really snarky and sarcastic about my, you know, like contrived plot devices and never funny dialogue and painfully stock characters, that kind of thing. And it ended with the tagline, if going for comedy, managed care is in more trouble than the Affordable Care Act, you know? <laughs> and I was like, wow, man, that's a lot of hate on my book. And, you know, at the time, because this was my first novel, I was still thinking very categorically, like, you know, a book's either good or it's bad. And, you know, this was a professional review service, so they must know what they're talking about, right? It didn't even occur to me that some critics could hate a book and other critics or reviewers could, you know, love that same book. And for about a week, when this was my only feedback, I was just like, why did I do this to myself? You know, I mean, why spend months and months working on something that's, you know, so uniquely you and then put it out into a world where there, you know, are obviously some people who like really relish the opportunity to make you feel bad about yourself for even trying, you know what I mean? And, and even after I started getting positive feedback from professional reviewers like, you know, Kirkus or Authors Reading, US Review of Books, uh, Sublime, that, those guys, I still couldn't shake this question, you know, why am I doing this to myself? And like you said in the intro, to give you a little background, I spent the past 25 years as the CEO of a you know, handful of companies, and what I was really good at was growing small companies into big companies, you know, usually on the back of a, a disruptive business model or new technology. So you know, I knew what it was like dealing with a lot of risk and feeling exposed and having a lot of people you know, want you to fail because they don't want things to change. And after 25 years of this, you know, I thought I was tough. You know, I, I thought writing was going to be a breeze <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and writing was supposed to be something I was doing to enjoy my life after I left that world of business. But, you know, in all honesty, I have never felt so personally vulnerable in such a public way as when that first book launched. I mean, you're just out there, you're naked and defenseless. 
And I kept asking myself, why would anybody do this to themselves? And you know, yeah, you spend you spend years writing, sometimes working on this thing, and then within a few minutes, you know, somebody can just completely uh, just hammer everything you've you've poured into it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, like to do this, you you either have to be like a masochist, or you have to be like clueless, which is what I was with managed care, you know. Um, or, you know, as I, as I went, figured it out, it, you have to be really, really brave if you actually do know what you're doing. And, you know, that's how I'm trying to be with my second and third books. But I had no idea that's what I was walking into when I, when I wrote Managed Care. You know, and I, yeah, the, the phrase thick-skinned author um, is, is definitely a very relevant term. There's no, you, there's no such thing as a successful thin-skinned author. Oh, for sure. But you don't really get that until you, uh, you know, you get punched in the face a few times um, and knowing you're going to get punched in the face. I mean, that's what's so cool to me. It's, you know, how brave authors have to be because so much of this business is about luck. You know, I mean, you, you market to your genres and your reader demographics and stuff, but so much depends on who actually picks up your book and what's their personality, you know, and does it connect with what you wrote? And I just feel really lucky that, um, you know, my book landed in the hands of a bunch of people who liked it. A lot of people loved it. But I know, you know, it could have just as easily landed in the hands of people who hated it, you know, exactly like that first critic who reviewed it. So and, and those people could have trashed it. So, you know, I, I think what's come out of me for this from this experience is I, I've just developed a very uh, a whole new appreciation and you know admiration and and respect for authors you know for people who are willing to to, to bring their stories to life to, to put the work in the discipline to polish them up and make them as perfect as they can be and then be you know brave enough to put them out there just so people they don't even know you know people they're never even going to meet might be touched by their work. You know, you, you make somebody laugh, you make them cry, you inspire them, even if you just distract them for six or seven hours, you know, it's, but it's something that you created that's touching their lives. And I just think that's awesome. You know, I think if people weren't brave enough to do that, we'd be living in a, in a pretty dull world, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, that we got past the first professional review, the negative one, and, and we're able to. <laughs> To, uh, I mean, obviously they're subjective and move on to uh, winning, you know, two major awards. Um, Managed Care has 151 reviews on Amazon Kindle with a 4.7 rating, and it's been selected multiple times by BookBub. So, I mean, so the validation for the writing and, and how great of a, you know, humorous novel it is, is definitely there. So you can't let, uh, you know, you can't let one or, or a few uh, you know, set an author back. You've got to just keep on plugging away. Uh, I always try to tell our authors a good example when they get their first like one star review or whatever is that J.K. Rowling, you know, Harry Potter book one has over 120 or something one star reviews. And I'm sure that she loses sleep and, you know, and <laughs> just, you know, I'm sure she's so stressed over those 120 right. one star reviews that the millions of dollars that are going in her bank account just doesn't surpass those one star reviews. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I think it was actually in, in the grand scheme of things, it was kind of nice to get my worst review as my first and only review and kind of live with that for a week. You know, uh, to kind of put me <laughs> in the right headspace for what this writing stuff's all about. Yeah.
Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your writing process. You sure. know, I'm, I'm aware you kind of told me that there's you walk around with these voices in your head. So I wanted to check on the accuracy of that. Yeah, that um, you know, I, I used to think that everybody just had dialogues running in their head um, constantly. Apparently, that's not the case. But, uh, you know, I think you could put me into the category of like an obsessive binge writer. You know, I'm, I'm not the kind of writer that looks to put out a certain number of words every day, especially when I'm, I'm, I'm working on a new novel or I'm, I'm working on new ideas. I usually just write when like a character or scenario or dialogue pops into my head. You know, I, it's like I write when I feel like I've got something to write, especially in the beginning. You know, like, like with managed care, one of the main characters, this guy, Frank, he just showed up one day. I was driving to uh, pick up my kids from school and I passed a nursing home. And for some reason, I thought, you know, wouldn't it be kind of funny if some young 30 something guy decided to just live in a, a nursing home and kind of check out because it'd be pretty cushy having people take care of you all day, you know, that kind of thing. And this this character, Frank, stuck around for a while. And when I started to write him down, I realized there wasn't much uh, plot potential for a guy just wanted to kick back and, and be taken care of all day in a nursing home. So I came up with the idea that, uh, you know, he was living there out of spite because he prepaid the facility for a year for his grandfather and his grandfather died before he could move in and the facility wouldn't refund his money. And, you know, once I had that plot line, Frank really started to come to life. You know, I, I could listen to him having dialogues with the people at the uh, nursing care um, facility and the management and his brother and, and all, obviously all this is going on in my head and my writing process is just kind of try to capture these dialogues and these scenarios and type them out and see where they you know see where they take the story <clears throat> and you know I mean characters are, are going to come from weird places so, you know for that same book managed care another one of the main characters this guy this kid Elroy I originally wrote Elroy to help my son with an idea he was working on for a story. He just turned 14 and he writes all the time as well. And um, he ended up, my son Joe ended up not writing the story, but I was like, you know, hey, I, I like this kid Elroy, you know, and I, I found a way and a reason to connect him with Frank and manage care and, and uh, bring him into the world of that book. And, uh, you know, the third, just to balance it out, the third main character, Manch Care, this, this girl, Sally, she started out as just a minor character. And as I was writing her, you know, I just kind of, I, I like fell in love with her and I, and how she complimented the other two characters, Frank and Elroy. So in the second half of the book, she became, you know, a much bigger part of the cast. But, you know, honestly, I, I, I wish she'd shown up earlier because the book's a little off balance with how she's introduced so much later than the other two main characters. But, um, you know, anyway, I usually just let the, the characters and scenarios and these random dialogues steer my writing for the first, say, 15 or 20,000 words or so. Um, you know, just kind of follow whatever pops up from these characters. And after about 15 or 20,000 words, let's say, that's usually when I, I make the decision to really dive in and commit to finishing the book, you know, and, and once I, once I make this decision to finish a book, I can usually get a first draft done in about three or four months, you know, which is pretty quick. Um, and during this time, the novel becomes much more like front of mind than my actual day-to-day -day life. You know, it's like every conversation with my wife or my son is about these different characters and the things they might do. And, 
you know, it's, it's almost like we have new family members for that period that I'm working uh, on the novel. Yeah, right. and, and I'm lucky because my son really enjoys this. You know, like I said, he's also a writer. So we spend just hours talking through different things that characters might do and plot lines and that. And I, I think my wife likes it too in the beginning, you know, when it's new. But uh, after a while, I got to imagine it kind of annoys her. And, and she's just like, would you just finish this damn book so we can get on with our lives like a normal family? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, she's obligated or it's mandatory. It's the, the love and passion to help you with your books is gone. But oh, yeah, absolutely. Like <laughs> no, they are, they are so tired of these characters by the time I'm ready to finish a book. And, and, and really, by the time I'm in like the... the you know, headed for the finish line in the last, say, quarter of the book or so, I have to go away. You know, I have to be alone someplace where I can totally immerse myself in nothing but the book, possibly because I'm so annoying to my family, because it's all that we talk about. And, you know, during this time, I'm writing at all kinds of odd hours. You know, sometimes I'll write for like 15 or 20 hours straight when I'm like in the zone. And like I said, everybody in my house is happy to have me, you know, quarantined somewhere because, uh, you know, I'm kind of like someone <laughs> trying to kick a heroin addiction cold turkey at this stage. You know, I'm, I'm like strung yeah. out. I'm overtired, bumping into things, walking around like a zombie. I mean, it's not pleasant. Yeah, the, you know, you, you, you just kind of ramble and you talk to yourself and oh, you stumble around. Absolutely. I mean, it's... If I hadn't, I couldn't do this when I was actually working. If I hadn't retired, I wouldn't be able to do this because, I mean, you could just as well put me in an institution when I'm um, in the second half of a book. Yeah, I can relate. I know you said institution. It's funny because I think of managed care. Um, it, it brings to mind like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but it's like if you took it to a like a modern setting and then instead of the mentally insane, you've got the elderly, which which at times can be similar. And then, uh, and then also, you know, instead of having the darker element, you've got more of the humor element. And so you kind of fold those in and just make a modern version of, of, uh, of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, you know, one, one of the reader reviews I got had said that same thing. And I never made the connection with one flew over the cuckoo's nest. I love the book. I think it's fantastic. It's just so much darker than managed care is, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> So what uh what are you currently reading right now? Any inspirations um, on your? Well, you know, I am I'm kind of a weird reader. I'm like uh, I trip. I like you know dark humor uh, books that are kind of in the same genre as my books. And when I find, I usually trip over an author that I I find that I like, and then I like obsessively read all of their stuff in rapid succession. And the the last person I did this with, I just read. Uh, Kevin Wilson's book, Nothing to See Here. Um, that's his new book. And uh, it, it's just fantastic. I mean, he's got a voice that just has such a punch. And, you know, I, I laughed out loud a lot reading this book. So I immediately read his other two books, The Family Fang and Perfect Little World. And then read two books of his short stories. You know, and I do this with, I did this with Jonathan Tropper's stuff, with Nick Hornby, with Matthew Norman. And, you know, when I when I've kind of read an author out and I'm looking for new books and I can't, you know, find another dark comedy author that I like to read, I usually revert to like the older noir fiction books, you know, like Raymond Chandler, John McDonald, Jim Thompson, mm -hmm. James Kane. I really love that genre, too, but it's not a genre that I write in. It's just pure entertainment uh, for the, the dark humor books. I usually 
you know, when I find an author I like, I usually get something out of them, you know, something that I can kind of channel into my own writing. Yeah, for sure. I, I read similar. Like, I mean, when you find an author that you, you know, you read a first book by and you really love it, it's so nice because it's like, especially, you know, like a best-selling author, someone who has, you look and you're like, ooh, they got 12 books. So you finish the first one and you love it. And it's like, yes, like I don't even have to think for however long. I got a year's worth of, <laughs> here's 11 more books. Like I yeah. don't have to sit there and be like, oh, what am I going to read next? You know, like it's just all lined up. Perfect. Oh, Here they are. Fantastic. And I it's the saddest it. thing in the world when you finish that last one and you realize you've got, you know, nine, 10, 12 months to wait for the next one. It is. George R. R. Martin is the only author that I've, so I've read my whole life. And he's the only author that actually ruined me for a period. I probably went the <laughs> longest without reading a book because of him. Like I've been, I've been reading a lot in the last few years, but so I started about book number three in the game of Thrones song of ice and fire series. And right. I'd read his other stuff, too. but I started about three. So I was, I wasn't as tortured as the souls who started in the beginning, but I was still plenty <laughs> tortured because I waited, you know, I waited, I think four, four or five, was it five years? And then uh, read four and then waited another, you know, five, six years or whatever. And now I'm on like whatever, eight, nine years. Like it's crazy to think it's been eight or nine years since I read A Dance uh, with Dragons. Yeah. And, and so when I read those, the, the Song of Ice and Fire, I read them all and it was so it's just hard to, to put it in perspective after everything I've ever read. I didn't think I'd ever read another author that wrote in what I would consider his own style or a different style, or at least just that I was exposed to. And so it was so different with the rotating of the character point of views, but the continuation of the story from different, you know, the story kind of moves along, but you're getting it from different views as it moves. And it was so well done with so many characters that, when I finished it, I didn't want to read anything else. And it took me months before I ever switched to a different author again. Like I, I just could not read anything. I wanted more George R. R. Martin. And of course there, there, there is none and, and there hasn't been. And uh, hopefully wins a winner will come, you know, someday soon. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like, you know, these guys create this fantastic world and you're let in and you can live there for a while, but then you get kicked out and you're just like, what, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I've kind of yeah. felt like that with, uh, with John McDonald's uh, Travis McGee novels, there was a couple dozen of them, I guess. And it, it was like a full year and a half where I was like, I got 25 books to read of this, that same thing. Yeah. You're in the same world with the same characters, different adventures, just so much fun, but it just hurts. And, and John McDonald died. So it was like, well, the last one is the last one, you know? Well, yeah, there's a few websites that are devoted, they're cult kind of following websites devoted to like the I hate George R. R. Martin because <laughs> they're, they're all built around the concept that, you know, they like they look at pictures of him and they're like, there's no chance he's finishing a song of ice and fire before he dies. Like he will <laughs> die before he finishes it. And so he's going to ruin my entire whole life existence. <laughs> they're dedicated they want to read. I mean, the HBO didn't give them closure. They want to read the, the you know, HBO covered tons of characters, but there are a hundred more main characters in the books than there are in the show <laughs> that aren't even in the show. So I, I can imagine how difficult it is for him to submerge into that world because oh, yeah. I've written 
fantasy stuff and I didn't have nearly the the broad amount of characters and you know just the mass of keeping it all together like he oh. I mean it's crazy yeah I don't have the bandwidth to write fantasy because I just can't I, I can't keep all the facts of the world that you have to create in your head you know my characters just kind of stumble through our world yes yes um <laughs> uh, how is uh how is your success or your experience as a successful CEO helped you with your you know your own writing and also some of your marketing? You know that's interesting. I'll answer that in two parts, and I I think it's the other way around to tell you the truth. And I, I wasn't even aware of this, but um, I think that my my experience as a writer really shaped my experience as a CEO. Um. You know, I've always written short stories, you know, when I was a kid, even when I was in business, I'd do it to, you know, blow off steam and that kind of thing. But it was only when I uh, left the business world and started writing novels that I realized in writing novels, I'm using the same instincts in trying to write a good novel that I use in trying to develop like a, you know, a workable strategy for growing a company. You know, it, it's kind of like, the arc of a character or a plot line in a story, you know, you, you have to be self-critical enough to know when things, you know, are about to go pear-shaped, you know, or, or about to, I don't know, to throw the company off balance to a certain degree. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's almost like you're, you're trying to juggle balls while you're running a marathon, you know? Uh, you want to be innovative, you want to keep things moving forward, but you can't let any of the characters or plot lines get out of the orbit that's keeping the story tight. Do you know what I mean? And, you know, it's yeah, kind of the sure. same thing. It, for me, it's kind of the same thing when you're trying to envision what a company can be. Like, you try to figure out what's the gravity that holds a company together, you know, in terms of, like, what you're offering the market and what makes it different. And can you develop a story for that company that will hold water and stay tight in terms of like realistic expectations of what the competition is going to do or what the clients are willing to do, or, you know, your financial limitations, uh, bigger market trends affecting the markets. And, you know, can you put all that in a store together in a story that, you know, people, your employees and, and bankers and everybody can understand and, and really believe in and get behind. I think that's such a big part of making a company successful, especially a company that's capable of disrupting a market, you know? So, you know, I've been thinking a lot how interesting it would be to put young writers into kind of an entrepreneurial context, you know, and encourage them to be kind of, you know, mavericks in the business world. And it really, I'm, I'm only talking about the change phase of business here, you know, like growing a company or, or transitioning a market, because, once a company gets big and starts to level out, it, it becomes much more about day-to-day -day management and institutionalization. You get things like, you know, HR and boring stuff like that. But for that change phase of business, you know, I've, I've recently realized, just over the past couple of years, realized that it requires this combination of characteristics that, that a lot of authors have. You know, you need the creativity, you need the... Uh, the discipline, like the type of discipline you need in the editing process, and you need that bravery I was talking about before, you know, and this, this is, it's almost like you're describing an author when you talk about what a good entrepreneur should be. So, you know, it'd just be interesting to see what would happen if anybody were to steer young authors into that kind of context, you know what I mean? And yeah, it, that is an interesting It's thought. just an 
odd parallel that I hadn't thought of um, until I actually started writing novels. So, and in terms of marketing, you know, for myself, it's, I gotta admit, it hasn't helped at all. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm really very uncomfortable even recommending my book or, or, or self-promoting, you know, I mean, it's like people like, Oh, you wrote a book, you know, and I'd like it. And I'm like, I, I don't know if you're going to like it. I mean, maybe you'll like it. it uh, if you don't like it, it doesn't cost that much. So you can always like, you know, throw it away if you want. But I, I really depend on you guys to steer the marketing and the promotion of the book. I mean, I'll, I'll follow whatever you guys think is the best thing to do, but I, I still have never been comfortable promoting something so personal that, that somebody could like or couldn't like, you know? For sure. It's the old, I mean, it's so much easier. It's crazy how much easier it is to say the words, um, you know, like I recommend Joe Barrett's book, you know, it's a great book versus saying, you know, read my book. It's a great book. Like totally. I recommend my book. You I know, couldn't agree more. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, for one of the things that I did, practically speaking, I mean, I, I do do a lot of Goodreads giveaways. You know, I, I really like the Goodreads community. They've been, I, I found them very supportive and, and positive, generally speaking. Um, and when you do, when we have like a book or promotion or when we have a 99 cent, you know, Kindle countdown deal, I'll usually do a print book giveaway, you know, a signed print book giveaway. And I'll include the details of the promotion in the text of the giveaway. Because usually in the first few days, I'll get, you know, a, around a thousand people entering the giveaway. And I'm hoping that a lot of them say, oh, wow, the Kindle version is only 99 cents. I can hop over to Amazon and buy it there. And I, I think that's been effective, but it's really hard to measure, you know, the, those type of practicals that you could probably do better than I. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, just in terms of, of seeing any hard data, it's just it's more so of knowing uh, when you get get additional books in readers hands and, you know, whether it was free or what. Um, you just know there's a chance that they read it and they love that. I mean, you think about what you read and who you visit and talk to and if they enjoy your book, then there's a, there's a really good chance that the word of mouth and then hopefully you never know, you might sell one copy three months later on Amazon. And that one copy came because that person told one of their friends what a great book they read. And, and you know, so you, know, you don't know what happens, but, but obviously you put all those together and it, it snowballs into more and more sales. Yeah, for sure. So what is, uh, Joe, what's an interesting fact about you that readers might enjoy hearing? A fact about me. You know, um, I would say uh, what most people wouldn't realize is um, how much my son, Joe, has uh, influenced my writing over the past, say, five years or so. And like I said, he just turned 14. So this started when he was like nine. Yeah, he's a very, <laughs> a very mature kid. And, you know, some people complain that when I write kids, they sound way too much like adults. But really, to me, they just sound like my kids. You know, I mean, my, both my son and my daughter are so much more articulate than I was at their age. You know, and they have they both have this remarkably dark and mature sense of humor. So it's really fun interacting with them. Although my daughter, she's actually never read my books. I don't know what it is, but something about my writing makes her uncomfortable for some reason. So. She's 15. <laughs> I love her. I cut him some slack. I don't mess with yeah, her on that, but uh, it's, it's weird. But my son is the exact opposite. Like he's all about my writing and you know, he's this amazing kid. He's, he's the type of kid. He taught himself to code 
so that he could create his own video games. He's been writing since he was like seven or eight years old. I mean, I remember his first book, you know, before school, he used to go down in the basement and write this book. He wrote this book, Stinky's Big Adventure, about a skunk that gets lost, right? And he illustrated, <laughs> illustrated it. He gave it a cover, stapled the pages together. And then he goes and he puts it in the school library. So his friends could check it out with the other books, you know, and he just felt like it belonged there. You know, he's got this amazing, quiet confidence about, you know, his work and his opinions. And, oh, you know what? I have to give him a shout because he just won a Scholastic Writers Award, something called a, a Silver Key. And he's an eighth grader, but most of the other winners were like high school seniors and juniors. So I'm really proud of him. And uh, so anyway, I found yeah, so, yep, go on. So we should... Um... So I can go ahead and mark down that we've got another Black Rose writing author, you know, someday in the future, just locking down under contract now, right? Yep, just exactly. Kind of he's he's going to be there. And his name's Joe Barrett, too. So you can just put us under the same same tag. We're going we're gonna to have to find a way. He's going to have to come up with a really good, uh, you know, really good author name. We're going to have to go with a pin right. name off of that. <laughs> Like, we'll just put it like the real Joe Barrett. or Right, the, exactly. The... Well, you know, and he's the fifth. I'm the fourth Joe Barrett, and he's the fifth Joe oh. Barrett. So we've been keeping this going for like five generations. Um, mm. But, you know, I mean, he's like, uh, he, he, for the last two books, I've, I've, when I finish writing sessions, I've let him read the pages, you know, because he's like hounding me on this stuff. And he'll come home from school. And he'll be expecting pages. And if I don't give them to him, he'll like lecture me uh, for for real. He'll be like, you know, dad, I'm a coder and I'm a writer. And by the way, coding is much harder than writing. And, you know, I yes. know what you're going through, but you're just making excuses. You just have to sit down and write. And I'm like, you know, dude, you're 10 years old. Back off, man. But it, that really pushed me. And yes, he, he actually does think coding is a lot harder than writing. So yeah, I've. So I've got it. I mean, it might not stick, but I'm pretty I'm pretty pleased with uh, the pen name JB5. I mean, That's I don't it. know. That sounds good <laughs> to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get him early. We'll, we'll, we'll send your <laughs> stuff. We'll send some of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun to, to the, criticize to him parents, for a while. <laughs> yeah. To the parents who think that you're writing, uh, you know, that the kids are speaking too intelligently, uh, or, you know, like adults and you're writing, you know, I feel sorry because those are parents probably that have unintelligent children. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm just shocked sometimes about some of the stuff that comes out of my kid's mouth. And, and they, for both of them, and, and a lot of it influences the way I write kids. So, you know, yeah, maybe they're super smart kids or maybe these people just have really dumb kids. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I've got I've got our short story section, which is six quick fire questions. Um, you know, are, are you ready for those? Yep. Hit me. All right. What is your favorite thing to do outdoors? Favorite thing to do outdoors? You know, uh, 15 years ago, I would have said go for a run, that kind of thing. But um, I just turned 50 years old. So my body's all kind of broken. I think the my favorite thing to do outdoors these days is I go for a lot of long walks with my wife, you know, which is kind of passes off as exercise these days. Um, yeah. and, and well, you'll I, be pleased. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm just saying, if I uh, uh, when I go for bike rides, long bike rides are good too. That kind of thing. Yeah, so you'll be pleased because I told my wife after we met at the Pincraft Awards uh, when she asked, you know, how old you were. I said, if I had to guess, I would say late 40s. So there's you. There's you a little. Uh, 
There's yeah, your little okay. positive nod right there. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, late <laughs> 30s would have been nice, but. <laughs> yeah, late 30s. Yeah, I was hoping for late 30s. But... Right. <laughs> Do you have any pets and what are their names? Yeah, we have uh, one Maltese poodle mix. We had to get a poodle mix because my son was allergic uh, to dogs when he was a kid. Um, and his name's Peanut. And that's it. No other pets. Right. Name a place that you haven't been, uh, but someday want to travel to. Oh, that's an interesting one. You know, uh, I've spent about 30 years of my life just traveling. You know, I lived overseas and, uh, you know, I'm closing in on 3 million lifetime miles on United. So <laughs> the idea of going anywhere I haven't been is not not as exciting to me. Um I, there are places I'd go back to. I'll tell you, I, I'd go back to Iceland. I loved Iceland and uh, Israel too, which is kind of odd for like an Irish Catholic kid to say, but I just, the, the <laughs> people and the history in Israel, I used to have to go there on business, um, you know, several times. And it just is such a fascinating place. So I'd go back there. Although the customs process getting in and getting out is a real pain in the neck. What is your favorite or who is your favorite sports team? Sport. I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to say the Kansas City Chiefs, which is gonna, you know, annoy people because I used to live in San Francisco. Yeah, the bandwagon. Oh yeah, of course it is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but I mean, my we had studios in San Francisco, and and you know, uh, we had, you know, a, a lot of people were just really amped up about the Giants, and I was like, yeah, go Giants. But I just love watching Pat Mahomes play. So. Awesome. What is your, um, so we, we, we mentioned a couple of countries that you like traveling to, but what is your favorite city outside of Florida? Ah, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd probably say Portland, Oregon, um, or, or maybe even Brooklyn, New York. I, I love up and coming cities, you know, uh, I mean, I love Manhattan. I love San Francisco, but there's like a, an energy in, in places like Portland and, and Brooklyn and even Tampa. That's why I chose to move down here where it's just a, a city that's growing really fast. And you've got all this influx of new people and new restaurants and ideas and stuff like that's just, that's my type of town. Okay. Last one. What is uh, the best seafood dish in Tampa? Oh man, steak, like filet mignon. I just don't okay. eat seafood that much. <laughs> You'd have to ask okay, my you're wife. Not a seafood. My wife isn't either, so it's hard. You know, it's hard to to uh, she'll she'll try a few things, and I'm not a big fish eater, but I'll eat like the fried shrimp and, and fried stuff. I'll eat all that and oysters, but but yeah, I'm always you know interested in some of the exotic fish dishes yeah, but you're not a you're not a it's, it sounds more interesting than it tastes really you know i think at, at heart i'm just like a carnivore like my daughter is the same thing you know rare filet you know just give me a good steak yeah usually i, I order you know you'll try someplace new and you're like man i'm gonna try it i'm gonna try this you know tilapia and this butter sauce or whatever and then usually halfway through it i'm like man i should have just got the steak like this is totally terrible decision. well and i you know i lived in china for five years and i had to eat the stuff that i ate over there was just very exotic and stuff and i think my my appetite for trying new stuff has kind of been sated and i'm like well, how about you just go for something you know you're gonna like right well uh, thanks for for uh being our guest today joe um is there any uh, last words or anything you'd like to plug real quick 
No, and it's been a a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. And the, you know, I just would love to give a shout out to to you and to your guys at Black Rose. You know, I I honestly, you know, I spent about five minutes uh, after I wrote my first book, like exploring the the normal process of going through agents and stuff like that, and I just didn't have the head for it. So I feel like I was lucky enough to submit it to Black Rose. And uh, that you guys found it because I, I don't think my book would have been uh, would ever have seen the light of day without you guys. And I think you guys have done just a fantastic job. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. I, I appreciate that as well. You have a great rest of your day and I'm looking forward to uh, Unplugged, which is coming out in a few months. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks, man. If you missed any of our previous podcast episodes, you can always listen and catch up at anchor.fm slash blackrosewriting. Uh, we're excited for our next guest in two weeks, our first non-author guest. It's publicist Marika Flat, the founder of PR by the Book, and she'll be talking about the DIY book promotion company they launched called Alter to Influencer Accelerator. It is our choices that show what we truly are far more than our abilities.